This morning, our second reading is from the Acts of the Apostles, uh, chapter 16, verses 6 through 15. It's in your bulletin in the ESV. I'm going to be reading it in my current favorite translation, which is the ERV, the easy reading version. <clears throat> I don't know. I think all of us need to simplify sometimes to, uh, to, uh, to understand things better. But I will be reading in that. But I have a couple of announcements first. Becca Joe is going to be leading Sunday school with the, what's your age group? Six through 12. And did you pick a place? The church office, okay, that's the, that next building uh, up the pike there. Uh, Becca Joe will uh, lead that. Thank you for doing that. That's wonderful. It's so good to see you again back in the neighborhood. Um, something's going to happen this morning that hasn't happened at Huntington Valley in more than a year. Some of you will have forgotten how to do this. We're going to take up the collection, Okay. Uh, and, and the Hindleys are gonna help with this. I mean, the plates will come forward. This is like 1950, okay? And we'll, and they will process back and you'll throw money in, in, into the plate. Um, so, but here's the rule. No handing the plate down the row, okay? So they're gonna, they're gonna come to you, um, and it'll be like old times. Okay, some of you ha- have never seen that in this church. Okay, you haven't been here since since we did that, so um, we'll be doing that. Um, thirdly, uh, I will be preaching at the uh, Brazilian service uh, six o'clock tonight, uh, so you're welcome to come come out to that service as well. Our passage uh, this morning takes us into some territory that. I think it's very timely for us to be looking at and thinking about. This morning I want to talk about uh, divine guidance and Christian decision making. Divine guidance and Christian decision making. People come to me uh, for a few categories of reasons. The number one category of reason that people come to me is because they're having trouble in life. Um, and they they just want me to pray with them about what's going on. They, there's something in their life they they would like to see changed. Uh, that's that's one category. But probably the second most frequent category um, uh, of people coming to me to talk to me, having a, a specific pastoral meeting with me, is uh, looking for uh, looking for some kind of divine guidance. They have some kind of decision they need to take, and they're looking for some input from God. So maybe I'll go talk to the pastor, and he can help with that. Okay. So uh, if you've ever been in a situation where you're having to decide between different different paths to take in your life. Um, what we're going to be talking about this morning will uh, be uh, applicable to you. But let's take a look at the passage. Again, I'm going to be reading it uh, in the ERV. We'll talk a little bit about the, the context of the passage. We'll just offer an exegesis of the passage. And then we're going to talk about uh, divine guidance and Christian decision making. So hear the word of the Lord. Paul and those with him went through the area of Phrygia and Galatia. Because the Holy Spirit did not allow them to tell the good news in the province of Asia. When they reached the border of Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, 
But the Spirit of Jesus did not let them go there. So they passed by Mycenae and went to the city of Troas. That night, Paul saw a vision. In it, a man from Macedonia came to Paul. The man stood there and begged, Come across to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen this vision, we immediately prepared to leave for Macedonia. We understood that God had called us to tell the good news to those people. We left Troas in a ship and sailed to the island of Samothrace. The next day we sailed to the city of Neapolis. Then we went to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city in that part of Macedonia. We stayed there for a few days. On the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the river. There we thought we might find a special place of prayer. Some women had gathered there, so we sat down and talked with them. There was a woman there named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. Her job was selling purple cloth. She was a worshiper of the true God. Lydia was listening to Paul and the Lord opened her heart to accept what Paul was saying. She and all the people living in her house were baptized. Then she invited us into her home. She said, if you think I am a true believer in the Lord Jesus, come stay in my house. She persuaded us to stay with her. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for giving us this word and we thank you for uh, inspiring it by your Holy Spirit. We pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would be present in the proclamation of your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be alive and active uh, in the minds and in the spirits of your people. Uh, speak to us this day, for you alone have the words of life. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in the second missionary uh, journey of the Apostle Paul. We're at the beginning of it, really. Paul and Silas and Timothy have been retracing uh, the path that Paul had taken in his first missionary journey. He is going back to visit some of the cities that uh, he had been in before and where he had planted churches uh in an earlier time. And then today, we find Paul at the point where he is ready to head into some new territory. All right, Paul has revisited all of the old churches that he planted, but he wants to head out and and preach the gospel into new places. And he goes through, uh, he goes into Phrygia and to Galatia. And what the scriptures tell us, which should come as a surprise to you, is that the Holy Spirit did not allow Paul to preach there. So Paul is heading into a place, you think, you know, you think the commandment is to go and preach to everybody, uh, to go into any place and preach the gospel to any place, but Paul goes into Phrygia and Galatia and the Holy Spirit instructs him and his companions that, no, you're not going to preach into this place. And so they head off into another direction and they want to go into Bithynia and God again says, no, you're not going to preach. In Bithynia. All right. Now Paul is operating 
at this point, according to his human wisdom, Paul is operating according to his evangelical uh, game plan. Paul has a certain strategy that he uses in evangelizing. And you see this pattern repeated again and again. He goes into uh, a new area and he typically goes into the largest city in the area, the, the, the kind of the regional hub. And he then will go to the synagogue and first talk in the synagogue. And then after he talks in the synagogue, he'll then begin to meet with people who are not part uh, of the Jewish uh, community. This is a pattern that gets repeated over and over again. And he's trying to do the same thing here. He's heading out into a new territory, but he gets a, a block here and he gets a block here. And so they go to the city of Troas. Now, if I don't know how good your middle eastern geography is here but this is all, all of these things are taking place in the country of turkey today and he's traveling north through turkey and the city of troas is on the northern coast of turkey and so across the water from there is greece what we would call greece today macedonia as it appears here so paul is going into the new parts of turkey the places that he's not evangelized before and god has said no you can't go here no you can't go hit there and in case you're wondering the distance that he's gone it's about 400 miles i don't know what's that like from here to columbus ohio okay walking Preaching, trying to preach, no, can't, no, 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 can't, no. And eventually he gets to Troas, a port on the northern coast. And then there Paul has this vision. He sees a man of Macedonia saying, come over to Macedonia. And then immediately Paul and his companions make plans to go do that. They interpret this sign as... Uh, a message from God. Okay, all of you have had dreams. I'm not sure all of you have then gotten up in the morning and done the thing that you dreamed the night before. But Paul has this dream and somehow he understands that this was a message from God telling him what he needs to do. Now, what you notice at this point, we've only gone through uh, ten, uh, uh, four verses there, but we have two accounts of God blocking a path. Paul, in his human wisdom, using his, you know, his evangelism strategy, has gone into these places, but God said no, no. Two, two times God says no, and then one time God says do this. All three times is, uh, are supernatural. Okay, the, I, I would love to know how the Holy Spirit didn't allow them to go into Phrygia. Was there like an invisible wall? Could they not find their shoes? The Spirit of Jesus don't, doesn't let them go into Bithynia. How does he do that? I don't know. Okay, well, It doesn't get explained. It's not important. But the point is two blocks and then one call. All of them supernatural. Now, I think a lot of the people who come to my office saying, Pastor, you know, I've got this decision to make. They're hoping for something like this. That God will give them a vision. That God will do something supernatural. All right? Mm, don't count on it. It happened for Paul. 
Alright, so they're then in Troas, and they take a ship, and they go across the water. The first night they get to Samothrace, a little island kind of halfway across across the Aegean Sea there. And then the next day they sail into the port of Neapolis, which is the port on the coast for the city of Philippi, which is the Roman uh, colony in the area. So Philippi is the important city in in, in that region. And again, Paul is repeating his evangelism strategy. Go to the major center and let the good news radiate out from there. And so go, he goes to Philippi. All right. This is how Paul really starts his second missionary journey. Everything that we read last week and the week before in the second missionary journey, that was all just kind of, you know, uh, visiting old places and getting warmed up. Now the second missionary journey is really going to begin. And there's a huge leap here when you've crossed the Aegean Sea. You really have left Asia. You've left the Middle East. You've left the Orient, as we used to call it. And you've entered Europe. Okay? This is, this is a different world that he's entering. This is a very alien world that he's entering here. And so this is the beginning of the proclamation of the gospel into Europe. Okay, so those of us who have European descent, this is the beginning of the conversion of our people. Alright? And it's happened because God has blocked the paths on two sides and God has given Paul a supernatural vision on the other side. And so they go to the city of Philippi. They get up in the morning on the Sabbath day. There's no synagogue in Philippi because there's not really a Jewish community in Philippi. So already we're in different territory. We can't follow the usual pattern. But Paul and his companions, it says we, Paul and his companions say, we thought we might find a special place for prayer down at the river. So according to their human wisdom... They figure, okay, it's a Sabbath day. Let's go where maybe some people will be gathering. People who are receptive uh, to the things of God. And so they follow human wisdom rather than following some uh, divine sign. God doesn't say go to the river, but they go to the river. They figure it out and they go down there. And Paul begins to speak uh, to people that he meets there, including Lydia, who's from Thyatira. Now, curiously... Thyatira is in that part of Turkey that Paul was not allowed to stop in. Okay? Paul has an appointment with Lydia. And it's not going to be in her hometown. It's going to be in this city where she would have been visiting as a merchant. Alright? And, and they meet there. She listens to Paul. And then the scripture tells us the Lord opened her heart to accept what Paul was saying. Now what I want you to notice here is that there is a combination of two things going on in the proclamation of the gospel. One is there is Paul's preaching. Paul's preparation. Okay, so uh, this sermon that you're hearing uh, this morning uh, was developed in the course of this of the past week. Uh, by me looking at the material, uh, meditating on what it is that we need to hear out of this material. And then after this preparation, I come and stand before you and I deliver the sermon. Paul does the same thing. 
Okay, he's prepared. He's been prepared as uh, as a Torah scholar. He's he's studied under Jesus as well, the resurrected Jesus, and now he's proclaiming the gospel. But it isn't Paul's words which convert this woman. What converts this woman is that the Lord opens her heart. Okay, Paul brings his human wisdom words. Okay, he's done his homework. He's telling the truth. But it is required that the Lord open the heart of the person who's hearing the words of Paul. Paul, of course, preached to many people. Some subset of them were actually converted. Okay, so there's this confluence of human wisdom and divine intervention. The Holy Spirit was at work within the heart of Lydia, which allowed her to hear what it is that Paul had prepared for her. So, there is this combination in this passage of supernatural action. Some of it's very dramatic. God blocking the passage of Paul from certain parts of Turkey. God giving Paul uh, a remarkable vision of a man from another country calling him. Supernatural events. There is also the operation of the Holy Spirit in the proclamation of the word uh, that Paul has brought. Okay, These are all works of God. But simultaneously, along with this, there is also human wisdom. Paul is preaching out of his knowledge of the scripture. Paul is uh, has an evangelism strategy that's based upon his understanding of human nature and the best way to get the message out to the largest number of people. Two of these things have to come together. So, now let me jump forward and bring this home to us today. I want to talk about divine guidance and Christian decision-making. As I said, probably the second largest reason that people come to me to meet with me as a pastor is because they have a, a heavy decision to make. Okay, and, they, and, and they're looking for some kind of prayer. The first thing I would say is that it is possible for God to give you a sign. For God to supernaturally tell you what it is that you need to do. Take this job, don't take that job, move to this city, stay in this place, marry this person, don't marry that person. It's possible for God to give you a sign. But don't expect Him to. Okay? I'm not going to say that God can't. But if you're waiting for God to give you a sign, you might be waiting a really long time. And you'll notice that the Apostle Paul, when he gets the sign, and he gets three signs, when the Apostle Paul gets the three signs, he's already in motion. It isn't like Paul was sitting there in uh, Asia Minor saying, oh, you know, I'm just going to wait here, you know, uh, with the boys until God gives me a sign about where to go. Paul's, in his human wisdom, already got a strategy. I'm going to go to this place. I'm going to go to this place. I'm hoping to get this far. And he's enacting that strategy in human wisdom. And then along the way, God says, no, no, yes. 
All right? So, don't allow the absence of a sign to freeze you where you are. Use your human wisdom. Move forward, and maybe along the way God's going to direct you uh, away from one thing uh, and another thing. In the Old Testament, we have uh, an, an account of what's called the Urim and the Thummim. The Urim and the Thummim, which I wish we had. The Urim and the Thummim, we don't know exactly what they were. They seem to have been two colored rocks that were embedded in the high priest's breastplate. All right? And these rocks were somehow used to solve questions. All right? You would go to the high priest. You had a big question. You know, should I buy a Subaru or should I buy a Honda? And he'd pull out his Urim and his Thummim. And I don't know what he would do with them. Juggle them or something. And you would get an answer. All right? We would love that. We would love it. I think we would love it because it relieves us of the responsibility of being wise. It relieves us of the burden of, you know what? If this thing goes south, they're going to be looking at me and blaming me for that decision. Okay? Don't count on having an Urim and a Thummim. It's not there. All right? So, don't wait for a sign from God. All right? Be in motion. Maybe a sign will come along. Okay? Remain open to that possibility. But don't wait. Number two, if you're looking for direction from God, He's given you a lot in the Word of God. I've got a lot of people coming to me that are looking for more information from God who haven't even checked out what He's already given them. Okay, we've got 66 books in the Bible. It's chock full of information about how to live your life and how not to live your life. Check that out first. Saturate your heart and your mind with the Word of God because the the Word of God is animated by the mind of God. And if you're thinking and reading and mulling over the Word of God, your mind is going to start coming into harmony into resonance with the mind of God. Now, the Word of God offers general moral guidance. It tells us what not to do, you know, tells us not to steal, tells us not to lie, tells us not to take the name of the Lord in vain. It doesn't always tell us what to do. It won't tell you whether or not to buy a Honda or a Subaru, but it does give you general moral guidance. Let me read uh, for you a few verses from Psalm 119. So Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's the longest psalm in the Bible. The psalm is entirely devoted uh, as a song of praise to the Word of God, to the law of God. And here's what we read at the beginning of Psalm 119. Great blessings belong to those who live pure lives. They follow the Lord's teachings. Great blessings belong to those who follow his rules. They seek him with all their heart. They don't do wrong. They follow his ways. Lord, you gave us your instructions and you told us to always obey them. How I wish I could be more faithful in obeying your laws. Then I would never be ashamed. 
Now, I think a a lot of the pressure in making a decision is we're afraid to make the wrong decision and then have somebody throw that up in our face later. All right? I mean, one of the great things about being a kid is is that you always got someone else making the decisions for you. But then you become an adult and all of a sudden it's your burden and you've got to make decisions and it's not 100% clear. It's not clear what we're supposed to do in every case. If we, however, follow the law of God, we will at least not sin and we will have a clear conscience about the decisions that we make. So number one, don't wait for a sign from God. Number two, immerse yourself in the word of God. Number three, use your human wisdom. You use your God-given physical strength every day. And you don't think anything about that. Why not also use your God-given mental strength? If you have some boxes and they need to go up onto a high shelf, you don't pray, Oh, dear God, please help these boxes get up on the shelf. You just lift them up. Okay? Because God has given you that ability. The same is true with the decisions that you make. You have been given wisdom. You have been given reason. You can solve problems. Do it. Receive those gifts of wisdom and of, and, and of intelligence and of reason from God. God gave those things to you. He made you in His image. And part of His image is that He's a rational creature. Paul has a definite strategy in his missionary journeys. And that's just a kind of human wisdom that he's using. Now, sometimes we feel like we don't have enough wisdom. And scripture does tell us that if we don't have enough wisdom, we can ask God for more. This is James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Okay? So if you lack wisdom, it's fair to ask God for more wisdom. I think one of the keys in human wisdom and decision making has to do with understanding ourselves and our motivations. Okay, behind every decision that you're making, there is some motivation on your part. Am I being motivated by pride, by my glory, or am I being motivated because this is the best thing for my family or for my people? Okay. Now, why is it important to understand motivations? Well, because um, motivations can be a hidden trap. We can convince ourselves that we're doing something for other people's goods when we're really just serving our own good. And oftentimes we don't have a good view of our own motivations. This is why it's important to have people in your life who can hold a mirror up to you and say, you know, uh, I, I know your reasons that you give for that decision, but from where I stand, it looks like maybe you're just doing this, that which might not be so good, okay? So I think it's good to have people in the body of Christ that uh, can have honest conversations with us about our motivations and the decisions that we make. I think also the scriptures are just wonderful in this way. The scriptures are a mirror that show us the condition of our own heart. And if and if we're reading scripture, uh, we'll have a better idea. So that all falls under human wisdom. 
And then last, and this is what I really want to land on, because I think this is important, and it's going to also tie to our affirmation of faith after the sermon is, after you've been open to the possibility of a sign from God while you're in motion, after you've immersed yourself in the scriptures of God so that you're trying to harmonize your mind with the mind of God, after you're using your God-given human wisdom, just trust God's providence. Make the decision and trust God's providence, okay? God is the creator of the universe, but he's also the sustainer of the universe. God doesn't just make the world and run away from it. God makes the world and he continues to govern it. Nothing happens in this world without God's will and God's plan. And you need to know that you are not powerful enough to derail God's plan. Even if you do your worst, God will still win. Even if you make the stupidest decision ever, God will turn it to your good. Here's the promise in Scripture. We know that in all things, including your stupid decisions, God works for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purposes. Do the best you can. Be open to a sign from God. Trust God's word. Immerse yourself in God's word. Use your human wisdom. And then just make the call. And trust that God is going to work this thing out in the end. Okay? I think that will free you. I used to work with a woman uh, years ago who would... Uh, a very bright woman. She she was a, uh, an investigator um, at a... At a and a medical school in Pittsburgh, but she would go down to the lunchroom to get a snack and be stuck in front of the vending machine for long periods of time. You know, a Snickers bar or Almond Joy or maybe I should get chips, but if I get the chips, should it be the barbecue chips? And Okay? paralysis, okay, a paralysis of will because she was afraid of ever making a mistake, okay? Now, it's it's funny when you're standing in front of a vending machine, but it ended up affecting the rest of her lives. She ended up never being married because she could never make a decision about who to choose. I don't, because she didn't want to make the wrong choice, okay? So I just want to give you the confidence that if you're a child of God, God's got this under control, and your worst won't upset his best. All right? Uh, Let us pray. Father God, we love you, and we respond to your love in our lives. We love you only because you loved us first. Lord, I pray that you would continue to fill our minds with the mind of Christ. Uh, I pray that we would trust you to... Uh, to, to, to guide uh, us and to protect us even from ourselves. And we ask that we would uh, love you and love you well uh, and that we would see you more clearly. And we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.